Hello and welcome to the NCTM podcast. My name is Steve McCormack from the NCTM's communications team. And uh, we're recording this in the Easter holidays, actually, just before the summer term 2022 gets going. And with me, I have my colleague, Becky Donaldson, from the NCTM's secondary team. Becky's been with us at the NCTM for just over a year, uh, just over a year, before which she taught maths in secondary schools. Hi, Becky. How long did you teach maths in secondary schools before you came to us at the NCTM? So I started teaching in 2010, so just over a decade. Um, and my most recent role was in a mat across primary and secondary, which gave me a bit more insight into the journey before secondary as well. OK, well, that's interesting because today we're going to be talking about number lines, specifically how they can be used in secondary school classes. But um, you may remember, if you're listening to this, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I did something very similar with another colleague of mine at the NCTM, Debbie Morgan, about how number lines uh, can be used in primary school maths lessons. So this really is a continuation of that theme. And is it fair to say, Becky, that possibly in some secondary school maths departments, number lines are underused or their power is probably not quite uh, appreciated? Yeah, I think so. It's quite common to see a number line above the whiteboard. I'm not sure how often it's always referred to in lessons. I think and I've deliberately not chosen negative numbers as an example here, because I think probably teachers are relatively familiar with using them to explore negative numbers. But there are um, other uh, uses of this representation that I think perhaps are underused and could really support students if they're explored a bit more. Okay, so like the primary version of of this uh, podcast chat, we're going to look at five examples of how number lines might be used in secondary school maths lessons. Just five examples, varying in complexity, varying in the sorts of classes you might use them in. And hopefully there'll be one of these somewhere where you think, yeah, I could I could I could use that. Even if you're already using number lines a fair bit, maybe there's going to be something in the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes, which will give you another idea to use a number line with one of your maths classes. Uh, Now, this is a podcast, so you can't see what we're doing. Um, But nevertheless, if it's safe, you might want to pause now and go and get the pen and paper and just draw them as we start to describe them. Or if it's not safe, use your imagination, which is what math teachers try to do all the time uh, with students in their class, use their imagination. And additionally, the five number lines we're going to talk about will be on the NCTM website page of the podcast. So you can go and actually see a representation there, print it off, uh, and and maybe that will help you to um, get more out of our discussion if you listen to it a second time. So let's get started, Becky, with the first number line that we're going to talk about. Can you describe it to me, please? Yeah, sure. So um, it's a number line... I would say starting at zero, but it doesn't really start at zero because there's an arrow to the left of the zero pointing towards the negative numbers to show that this number line continues forever. And it's got 10 marks on it. So we're going zero to a mystery number, not 10, a box on the 10th line. And again, an arrow after our box to show that the number line continues infinitely on from there. So zero to something with 10 10 marks. Yeah. Let's just deal with the arrows point. generically it's important that once we get into secondary education that uh well why is it important you tell me that every number line has an arrow left and right i think it's important that um children get a sense of the number system being infinite in both directions um and i'm sure there's plenty of secondary teachers listening who are very particular about graphs for example and the axes having arrows on to indicate that 
Um, so when we're working with number lines at secondary, often we're zooming in on a part of it. And so it's important that children understand that this is a zooming in and that there is stuff that goes on beyond the bit that we're focusing on. So the first number line we had in the primary discussion had exactly this sort of line which we've got in our heads or on our sheets right at the moment. But the, the number in the box was 10. Uh, but now you've you've left the number in the box blank and you're you're saying a teacher could put any number in that box for any purpose. So what would be the first one you might think about putting in that box? Yeah, obviously any number could go there and it would tell you how students can work with number and, and separate it and divide it. But I think in this for this particular intention, I'd put the number one in first to explore students' understanding of the decimal number system and whether they understand tenths building up to one. So you'd want to see them putting 0 0.1, 0 0.2 or one tenth, two tenths written as fractions all the way up to 0 0.9, nine tenths and then one. Let's say that goes smoothly. Uh, how might this be developed? I think I think children are generally quite comfortable with tenths. Obviously, there will always be some who come less confident. But actually, children first experienced tenths on the number line like this back in year three, which is something that surprised me quite a lot when I started working in primary, how early that comes in. So once you're sure that they understand tenths, you'd want to explore whether they understand the infinity of the number system sort of in a zooming in sense do they understand that we can zoom in between 0 and 0 0.1 for example and then again between 0 and 0 0.01 so you're looking to see whether they understand hundreds thousands whether their understanding of place value can be applied to this representation of the number line so the next number i'd put in would be 0 0.1 to see if they understand that we'd have 0 0.01 0 0.02 and so on up to that 0.01. Uh, that, that could go on forever, couldn't it? The number yeah. of noughts before the digit one in these decimals. Um, but what about a way of just shaking them a little bit and getting rid of the digit one in that box, putting a different digit in that box? Yeah, absolutely. You could, I mean, you could carry on exploring it and seeing if they go into thousands and ten thousands. Um, but I think the number 0.5 would be an interesting one to put there next. So playing around a little bit, do they understand the use of tenths and hundredths simultaneously. Do they understand that if I'm putting 0.5 there, that I've got five tenths, but the tenths are every other one of those markings, and in between them would be five hundredths, fifteen hundredths, and so on. So I think that would be a really useful assessment point because where students are seeing the one, the 0.1, the 0.01 all the way through, they are continuing a pattern which is the pattern that Debbie described when she talked about putting the teen numbers over. You know, it's that same relationship. But if you put 0.5 there, you can really probe and explore whether they have fully understood how that um, is connected. OK, let's move on to the second example now. And if you see the sheet on the website, we, there's actually three versions of the second example. But the, the simplest one, the, the blank one, so to speak, is a, a segment of a number line. And we've got a box without anything in on the left a box without anything in on the right and the midpoint marked in the middle. So where's this one going, Becky? So this is very much a continuation of the understanding for the first number line of that decimal number system, but specifically looking at rounding. And this is a really useful representation to explore rounding and the rule that it is that children often and they, they come to secondary school knowing that above five, you round up below five, you round down and five itself rounds up to perhaps without being able to place this to any number in context. And so the idea here is that you can zoom in on a bit of the number line and explore um, two numbers, their midpoint, and the, the decimals either side of that midpoint as to whether it rounds up or rounds down. So the example that I've put there is between three and four. So do they understand that 3.5 is the midpoint of those two numbers? And then you could start just suggesting decimals. How about 3.2? 
Where would that be on that number line? Would that round to three or to four? How about 3.7? You could introduce hundreds there as well. What about 3.92? So exploring whether they can place those decimals on that number line and then connect it to the rules of rounding that they might already have learned. You mentioned the word midpoint, and that's that's a, a key principle and a key piece of understanding which is useful to children right from year three, four, five, right up to through secondary school and beyond, isn't it? Absolutely. When I listened to Debbie's podcast talking about year one and two, I was really struck about how those skills are still so fundamental in key stage three and key stage four and key stage two as well. So that sense of the midpoint is absolutely crucial to this understanding of rounding. And it's the same skill, really, that you're asking them to apply. It's just that now we have this infinite number system, this sense that between any of our numbers, there will be more numbers um, that we're applying it to, not just the integers that have worked with in early primary. And what about the question which some students would pose to a teacher about rounding? OK, Miss, what about if something is exactly in the middle? So your example, three and four and right in the middle, 3.5. Most students know that that is exactly in the middle. It's not any nearer four than it is any nearer three. So why, Miss? Why do we always round that up? Yeah, and I, to be honest, I always just tell my children that it's the convention and it's the convention that we use. Obviously, later on, you can get into to more detail um, when you're looking at bounds. But I, I think it's important they understand that we've made decisions as mathematicians to do things certain ways. And yet that is exactly in the middle, but we treat it as rounding up. OK, let's move on to the third example, which leads nicely from the second. There's a bit of progression here from our first three examples. And the third example, I've got a line in front of me here with arrows at the end. Uh, and there's three boxes without numbers in at the moment, one at the left hand extremity, one at the right hand extremity and one right at the midpoint in the middle. But also we've got the midpoints between each of the boxes there. So it's a line with three boxes, um, nothing in the boxes at the moment, midpoint between box one and box two marked, midpoint between box two and box three also marked. And we're going to put some numbers in these boxes to investigate um, what are we going to investigate? Bounds. So how, how might this lead us on to bounds, Becky? So I was really struck when I was thinking about this, about how we probably explore rounding and decimals early in, in secondary and late on in primary. And then in year 10 and 11, we explore these bounds and possibly there's not been much continuity between them of this representation, whereas actually exactly the same representation that we've used for rounding is really useful to represent bounds. So the, the question that I was thinking of here was a really simple one. So a tank has a capacity of 80,000 litres to the nearest thousand litres. What is the maximum minimum capacity of the tank? So 80,000 goes in the middle. That is our capacity. And you're asking children to think about what is the previous thousand and what is the next thousand? So at the left hand end, they would hopefully write 79,000. And at the right hand end, they'd write 81,000. And then we've got the midpoints between each of those thousands to consider. So again, that same skill that um, they've been doing with their rounding and back in, in stage one with their, their number lines, asking children to identify 79,500 and 80,500. And if you can connect that back to their work on rounding, they will understand that any number to the right of that 79,500 would round up to 80,000 and any number to the left of the 80,500 would round down to 80,000. So they're exploring and experiencing bounds in a really visual way. And that's the point, isn't it? Because I think most secondary teachers listening to our conversation would acknowledge that bounds often is found tricky by year 10 and year 11 students who otherwise are finding a lot of the curriculum reasonably comfortable. But bounds sometimes trips kids up, doesn't it? 
But this visual way of helping them understand it, it is perhaps going to help. Perhaps teachers don't think about the visual uh, aid when doing bounds, but perhaps using the visual aid will, will help um, lots of students get over hurdles in their heads. Yeah, I think so. I think some of the things that are really challenging with bounds is when you're then asked to calculate and select which is the, the whether the upper or the lower bound will create a certain answer. And I think having spent a bit more time exploring bounds at the beginning might give students a bit more of a foundation to be able to do that. I also think there's quite um quite a big gap perhaps between the before since the last time they've explored rounding in great depth you know rounding is something that's very often done at the beginning of key stage three because it is also in the key stage two curriculum and then there's this massive gap until you you explore bounds in key stage four and um, yes they will have been rounding as part of their mathematics all the way through but have they stopped to consider it again with the representation um to really have kind of got to the depths of the, their understanding there to be able to apply it to the bounds I think an interesting next step might be to take exactly the same numbers, but change what the right it's been rounded to. So I've sketched next to that um, what it would look like if it wasn't to the nearest thousand, but to the nearest hundred. And I think that's a really useful bit of variation that you could do there. If you're going to spend a bit more time exploring values before you go on to calculate with them, maybe keep the numbers the same, but change the limits of accuracy so they can really get to grips with what, what, what the hundred or the thousand or whatever the nearest accuracy is before and after and then explore those midpoints again. The final two examples, four and five, that we're going to talk about are not connected in any way. They're, 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 they're separate, but nevertheless equally useful. So I'm looking at number four now, and it's a very simple number line with zero on the left, a box with nothing in on the right, arrows left and right, as always. And under, underneath, you've written, where is a quarter? So what, what, what would you be trying to do with a class there? So... When we deal with fractions, they can trip students up. I think a lot of teachers will put their hands up and say that, that fractions are not always the easiest thing to teach. And I think part of that problem is that they are both proportions and they are values in their own right. So this is about exploring them as values in their own right, a quarter as a position in the infinite number system. And it's a really simple concept. The idea is that you just vary what number you put in the right hand box and ask students to estimate. And I use estimate really deliberately there. It's not about precision. It's about their number sense. Can they estimate where a quarter is? So if you start with one, can they approximately work out where a quarter is? How about if you change that to two? Do they move the, their quarter so it's halfway between where their old quarter was and zero? Um, how about five or ten? A really interesting bit of variation is to go into fraction itself. Do they know where a quarter is in relation to a half, in relation to a third? How about a fifth? Do they realise that a quarter will go the other side of, of that, um, that missing box? So it's really about exploring their number sense. And I think number sense is something that is perhaps less explored with fractions, um, I mean, but, but pays off dividends for when you are calculating with fractions as you go through secondary, if they can make sense of and reason whether their answers are about the right size because they have that sense of what size a fraction is. Would you as a teacher put an, an eighth in that box, a sort of a cheaty uh, question? I can see if I was in a classroom currently, I could see myself using this as a sort of a, a relatively regular starter, just sticking it up on the board and exploring. And yeah, if, if they'd seen this a couple of times, I'd definitely put an eighth there and expect them to extend the line and, um, and put a quarter sort of exactly the same distance on again. I'd also expect them to start to try and trick me a little bit. Can you put a number there and 
challenge me to put a quarter in. There's, you know, there's, there's lots of things you could do with this that could. I think there's a sense of it building over time. It's not something I'd use as a one off. It's something that I'd come back to, I think, to build their number sense, not just assess it. And that would just start to instill familiarity in, in, in students' minds. Oh, yes, I've seen that before. I remember what Miss did last time. And that's familiar to me now. I'm now going to revisit my understanding there and just have another bit of a play with the same representation. Absolutely. That's the reason there was a journey for the first three number lines. I think familiarity and repetition are really important. If you're going to use this representation, it's not a one off. It's something that students are used to seeing. Final number line we're going to talk about uh, is, is a double number line. And we must make the point here. We're just going to dip our toe in the water of the territory that is double number lines here uh, and give you one example, a few thoughts. But the, 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 we may at some stage do a whole podcast about double number lines. Can you describe the one you've chosen to us, please, Becky? What's this looking like? So I've chosen quite a, a relationship that will be quite familiar to teachers, kilometres and miles. So crucially, you've got, so you've got a single number line with numbers above and below. And crucially, you've got zero lined up. So zero kilometres on the top and zero miles on the bottom. And then along the number line, you come to a marking and there's eight on the top where the kilometres are and five underneath it where the miles are. So eight and five are related. And you continue on not quite so far. And there's 12 on the kilometre side and a missing box on the mile side. And obviously an arrow to show that goes on forever as well. Obviously, the first question a teacher might ask is what 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 number's going to be in the missing box underneath? I'm not sure that would be the first question, actually. What OK. I probably would ask, what do you know? If you know eight matches to five, what else do you know? Um, and you might not choose this relationship if it's your first experience with the class because you want them to be able to just spot other relationships. So they might say, well, I know that four is going to be equals 2.5 before they think about what 12 is equal to. Or they might double the numbers they've been given and say, I know that 16 is going to be equal to 10. From those numbers, whichever direction they've gone in, that's when they might be able to answer the question of what is in the box. I think there's something about slowing children down and not pushing them straight to the answer, but asking them to explore other things they know. And I think that they're probably the two most likely approaches with a particular relationship that I've chosen. With other relationships, children might do other things. You know, they might find a quarter of one of the numbers or work out what the value of one is. The key point with double number lines is that it's really giving students ownership of exploring that relationship rather than giving them a method like a unitizing method and say you've got to find out what one is worth so you can find out anything else. They can use that visualization of the relationship to find the most natural pairs for them, really. I'm thinking back to days gone by when I when I taught maths over a decade ago and when I learnt maths, goodness knows how long ago. And I'm thinking of similar questions about the relationship between miles and kilometres. Would it be right to say that those would have teachers might have demonstrated students might have actually done those without a visual representation, just playing around with the numbers in their head, so to speak, without this representation? Yeah, absolutely. And I chose this one because it used to bother me at school myself. <laughs> it's really quite tricky. Um, yeah, I think the, 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 you can end up learning lots of processes for essentially the same multiplicative relationship. Now, I've, I've just sketched down here that this could be miles per hour or metres per second rather than kilometres to miles. It could be a conversion. It could be euros and pounds. It could be the cost of chocolate bars. So, you know, eight chocolate bars cost five pounds. Any relationship where there's something per something or something for every something could be represented on a double number line. And suddenly, rather than memorising lots of different methods or processes, you've got one visualisation of a relationship. And from that, you can explore and use your own reasoning to, to work out what the solution will be. And I think it simplifies things for students that I have a representation of visualisation rather than lots of processes to learn. 
Okay, great. Well, thanks very much indeed, Becky. And uh, there, there are five examples there. Thank you for planting these thoughts in, in my mind and, and in the minds of our listeners. Thank you for listening. I hope there's been something for you out there uh, that you might use sometime during uh, the next few weeks of your maths lessons. So that's the end of this uh, edition of the NCTM podcast. Thanks for listening again. If you've liked it, please uh, let, let other friends know, recommend it, subscribe to uh, the NCTM podcast so that you um, you get automatically notified when the next one comes along. They come out every uh, two or three weeks or so. Um, but for now, thank you, Becky. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with the NCTM podcast very soon. Goodbye.